1: a room upgrade don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply nerdwallet finance smarter you know you've got a comeback in you when you
0: take the next step you're going to make it count for your career for your family for your life It's kind of like forcing
3: the entire world to eat with the same spices or to speak with the same language or with the same dialect, you know?
0: It's fairly common knowledge that a lot of genres of music borrow from one another to make their respective sounds. Hip-hop borrows from R&B, rock borrows from country, songs are sampled, sometimes covered. The DNA that links most popular music tends to dominate and influence musical cultures around the world even down to the very creation of new music and the tools and instruments used to make it.
3: Ultimately, we're talking about the supremacy of Western music theory. And Western music theory essentially has at its source a very specific kind of music making that was made and funded by a very specific class in a specific period of time
0: It shouldn't be a surprise that even the music we hear in our heads and try to shepherd out into the world has already been colonized, in many ways, by Western influences. The very idea of what music is, who makes it, what are the classics, are all questions that have been answered long before a creative sits down to make something new. We won't be able to move forward into
3: the future where we can actually explore different kinds of uh, music making things that might be transcultural that that represent our commonalities and our differences in different ways.
0: Chaim Alami is a musician composer and researcher based in Berlin. He just released new software Apotomy and Lima which are expanding the pathways of music creation beyond the dominant sound palette. Creators are given the tools to compose music using non-Western tunings. The default settings are the act of choosing
3: it's just about that spark if you can catch that spark and if you can let it have space to to grow brighter then you know people will automatically find themselves taking their own path and discovering the the things that make them feel that magic. I'm Khayam Lami and I believe that the cultural asymmetry in music technology is a problem we can solve. Cultural asymmetry is the fact that music technologies and the way that music is presented and represented tends to lean towards a western conception of what music is rather than be something that is balanced where all musical cultures are on an equal footing in an equally respectful
0: way tell me a little bit about your earliest music memories
3: my earliest musical memory is learning to play the violin in damascus i think i had i was 7 or 8 years old at the time and then we moved to london when i was 9 and then i didn't really have any connection with my Arab identity per se, or at least the connections were were tenuous at the time. But what I did notice was that the band Killing Joke released an album in the mid 90s called Pandemonium on which a very famous Lebanese violinist, his name is Aboud Abdel Al, he played. And um, particularly there's a track called Communion. That sound of this really heavy industrial music with this violin, this this beautiful uh, Levantine, you know, Arabic violin mm, scattered all over it. um, Really, really, it it really got me. It it just hit hit a place in my spirit that mm, I wasn't really
0: aware of was that a moment that kind of pushed you forward into the type of work you're doing in music now
3: i think so what it showed me was that these disparate worlds or these these musical worlds that i felt were disparate could actually be pulled together in some in some way, could somehow combine together in a way that that didn't feel cheesy to me and it didn't feel like exotic. you know and that stayed with me you know? and I've been kind of searching for my own path along those lines for for many years since.
0: So uh, talk to me a little bit, uh, you use the word exotic when you're saying that you're, you're talking about, I think the ways in which world music and non-Western uh, music is pulled into Western music as a kind of a way to add, make it a little spicy, which I don't necessarily think is the best method of using that music. Tell me a little bit about how that makes you feel, like when you hear instances of music being used that way.
3: I think it really depends on how, for example... When you hear something like Big Pimpin by by Jay-Z and and Timbaland baby
0: Big Pimpin, right. pimpin' spin and
3: It feels really meaningful, right? Yes. Um whereas when you hear something when you hear something that like there was a band called Shakti by John McLaughlin and Zakir mm. Hussain It was more about the sound of those instruments rather than the feeling of that music, and um, mm-hmm. that's what I always found a little bit more tokenistic and and somehow exoticized. It just never quite mm. felt it just never quite felt real enough to me. And it's funny for me to say that that something like Big Pimpin' feels more authentic, but I think the reason why it feels more authentic is because it uses a sample. Therefore, the sound and the feeling of that music is present within the sound of. That recreation or that or that reuse, yes. right? Whereas when you hear something like Shakti, all I hear is twelve-tone equal temperament, uh, jazz modalities, jazz tonalities with these very rigid time structures. But you have the sound of the tabla and the virtuosity of the tabla, which is never
0: quite enough for me. You know, you it's it's almost to be like when uh, people take uh, foreign foods and um and they try to make like a taco out of stuff using uh using Indian ingredients rather than letting these things like stand on their own as their own foods. You know, it's like why are you trying to shape it into something that's more familiar to you rather than using it uh, and letting it shine on its own? Absolutely. So let's talk about then though. So Talk about the ways in which you think Western theories have kind of colonized music.
3: Well, ultimately, I think the, the the issue is not that something has colonized something else. It's that the remnants of a colonialist and a supremacist mentality have maintained themselves and been inherited by the technologies that we use to make music today and the way that musics from around the world have been represented and marketed and therefore, that gaze or that perspective has been imprinted in people's minds. So mm-hmm. when we got to the early 80s and digital synthesizers came through, and then we get into the world of you know digital audio workstations and using computers to make music, they were also based on these Western music theories. One is the rhythmic grid, which you know, divides a a certain amount of time into equal divisions of of time Mm -hmm. when dealing with digital instruments. But the same goes for tonality, for pitch, where the octave is divided into 12 equal steps, into 12 equal semitones. And it sounds like this. Okay. And then the minor scale.
0: So, like, can you give me examples of what it's like to get outside of the major minor scale? If we're we're talking about getting outside of like this uh, supremacist rigidity of music,
3: if we want to get out of the, this simplicity and the rigidity of the major minor, oftentimes people think about different kinds of scales, but actually the tuning itself is is something that is really really powerful. So, this is a Persian dastgah scale called Chaharga. And the beauty of it is in these couple of intervals. Mm. That's really alien to to the majority of music in the world, actually.
0: Yeah. That sounds, it sounds like you, uh, you have a little bit more leeway, a little more latitude in that scale than there is uh, in the traditional major scale. Can you give me another example of something else that's uh, not so westernized?
3: Yeah, sure. So let's have a listen to... This is an uh, African idiophone. It's a, a kind of xylophone called the mbaire mm-hmm. used by the Naki Bembe uh, xylophone group from Kampala in Uganda. And I, um, I analyzed this tuning from a recording that they sent me, and it sounds a bit like this. So that's a a pentatonic scale that that has a really beautiful, beautiful character to it. And, And you imagine it when it's played on something more percussive, especially lower down. beautiful character
0: oh that's amazing i I feel like i could listen to just you play different types of scales on different types of instruments all day so how do we solve that how do we break out of the ideas of of this of those western mindset we have towards music and how do we open it up and allow people to be more creative and uh, more expressive and have more latitude to create unique music for everyone to enjoy one thing is to
3: find a way for developers to be able to implement these things with ease and simplicity, which already exists, but it just needs a kind of it just needs tying up and, and being presented and represented in the right way. Along with that, we need to be able to reach out to those developers and and say to them that this is important. I don't think people really realize how much 12-tone equal temperament, like rigid digital 12-tone equal temperament has really impacted and affected music all over the world. I mean, you you, you listen to anything from the the pop music of Latin America to the, the, the pop music of Central Asia. It's all mediated through this particular tuning system, which represents a specific musical culture from a very specific period of time. And and i don't think people realize how how damaging that has been not only on the music making but also on audiences ears you know we've we've become so accustomed to hearing equal temperament now that that most people hear anything else as either nostalgic or just weird and out of tune and this is incredibly problematic because it's it's kind of like forcing the entire world to eat with the same spices or to speak with the same language or with the same dialect you know so, so we need to make people understand that this is an important issue and it needs to exist because without it existing, we won't be able to hear anything else. And we won't be able to move forward into the future where we can actually explore different kinds of uh, music making things that might be transcultural that that represent our commonalities and our differences in different ways right? so so we need these tools in order to be able to imagine something else that's one thing and the other side of it is actually education Mo- aside from the fact that these capabilities don't exist in the technology we also don't learn about them in music education and information about them is very scattered. It's very much a a Western perspective narrative and trying to break that rigidity of Western music theory and Western music education, which is not only a present in the West as, uh, as a whole, but has also imposed itself on the rest of the world because of colonization, because of imperialism, because of cultural hegemony. We need to make sure that these musical ideas from all these different cultures are represented in a way that's equal to how Western music, Western composers have been. There's no reason why everybody has to learn about Bach and Mozart and doesn't get to learn about uh, Paco de Lucia and uh, Ali Akbar Khan, you know what I mean? I think it's about valuing all of these musics from all over the world and their ability to enrich our lives and to treat all of these music, musical traditions on equal ground, N- not that one is superior to another just because it has harmony and you know a, a huge orchestra of instruments behind it
0: i mean it that still has a lot to do with the decision makers and who decides uh what is music or what is good music because i think that same type of uh that same type of oppression exists when we're just talking about different styles of music you know i've heard people say things like hip-hop isn't real music or this pop song isn't a real song or so on and so forth when it comes to the types of music that we're we're deciding is real and isn't real. I think you bringing up
3: the example of hip hop is really, really important. It's taken years, years for um, electronic music makers, beat makers, hip hop artists to be respected in the same way that you know Western classical composers are respected. Again, it boils down to the supremacy. You know, we are always taught again, or, or th- there's these ideas that are embedded in our minds from an early age that if you want to be a professional capable musician. You need to be able to read music. You need to understand counterpoint and harmony. Black musicians, whether they be African-American jazz musicians or hip-hop artists, have had to suffer this for a very long time too. And and the parallel is there. It's about the inequality.
0: And I think when you brought up Bach and Mozart, what it made me think of is when we're talking about the music that we're teaching the children, what steps do you think that we can take to kind of unlock the possibilities with children rather than kind of just teaching them 4-4 time and Bach and Mozart and and kind of bringing in an African drummer and say, ooh, isn't this fun? And thinking of that as exotic. What can we do to actually make all of music more accessible across the world rather than just one view of it? You know, teaching a bunch of
3: school kids how to bang on a djembe for an afternoon is is just not good enough. It's tokenistic, it's exotic, it ticks the boxes and, and that's all it does. It doesn't get into the core. Whereas if you were to bring an African master musician and allow him the time and space to be able to talk about grooves, to be able to talk about polyrhythms, to be able to talk about interlocking rhythms, to be able to talk about tonality and, and musicality and pitch and scales and tunings, in a more in-depth way, and then to be able to represent those ideas using modern sounds, using digital tools, that sounds like I'm, I'm demanding a lot or, or it's a bit of a utopian daydream, but I, I think that the technology is there to allow for that and that we have plenty of musicians all over the globe who are more than capable of teaching this kind of ideas. And so marrying the two together, for me, would be the first step. And, and I really don't think it's so difficult. I, I think it, it would be quite uh, reasonable uh, to, to, to expect something like that to exist.
2: Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious. But the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point. And market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization this event sounds like your thing. I encourage you to find out more or even enter the Unconventional Awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at T-Mobile.com slash Unconventional Awards. That's T-Mobile.com slash Unconventional Awards.
1: I'll save you a seat.
0: So tell me a little bit how your software is solving that problem as well.
3: In January, I released two browser-based softwares in collaboration with a creative studio called CounterPoint. It's run by um, Tara Parvianen and Samuel Diggins. One is called Lima and one is called Apotome. Lima is a tool that allows very instant intuitive access to tuning's uh, from all over the world. And it runs in a web browser. So it's really, really convenient for musicians, researchers, composers, uh, educators to use because all you need is uh, a, a computer and you can explore, create, hear immediately what these different tonalities sound like. So the examples I played to you earlier were me just switching through some different presets that are publicly available in this software. That was a major step towards trying to Really make this information easier for people to engage with. Now, Apotome is a slightly different beast. It's a more of a music-making environment based on generative music, which essentially is music based on parameters and, and probabilities. But what differentiates it from any other kind of generative music software is that it's directly focused on these transcultural scales and, and different tunings from all over the world. I know we're on a podcast, so you, you know, nobody can see what I'm doing. But what I've done is I've launched the browser with um, Apotome running. I've selected um, Arabic tuning by um, Al-Farabi from the 10th century. And I'm going to choose a very particular characteristic maqam, which is a kind of mode called uh, Raḥat al-arwah. love it and so what you would do is choose a a tuning system and a subset that you want to work in and then you have a bunch of sliders and buttons and things that you press in order to change the probabilistic nature of the music that's going to come out this is very very simple as a sound i'm going to just craft it a little bit more with a little bit of delay and give that a little bit more character by just trying the sliders and changing some of the parameters I can start to generate these different patterns and and then you you use a couple of embedded web based synthesizers to, to create that music that's mm-hmm. just one track I'm going to bring in a, se- a second track now and I'm going to make this run Lower.
0: And these are all options that are available in the software.
3: Exactly. It's it's a kind of modular framework. So I'm going to quickly change the sound now to something that might be a bit more interesting.
0: Ooh, now I'm getting a very uh, 80s movie, 80s action movie.
3: Exactly. Yeah, these synths are all quite 80s, so... Let's just add another guitar here. On the other side. So it all feels a bit 80s at the moment, because we're just using these very simple rhythmic things, uh, structures. But I can also switch over to a different kind of rhythmic construction, which are called Euclidean rhythms. You can hear these beautiful polyrhythms. I'll stop there, just otherwise you know, we can really be here for hours. I-, I could have never heard this kind of music using an arabic maqam being done so quickly so easily just in a web browser not even in a web browser in any kind of digital software environment before so so even though it sounds a little bit cheesy and a bit dated and a bit 80s what it does is it allows my imagination to go elsewhere so that when i come to make my own music i have this weird stuff in the back of my mind that allows me to, to think about my own music and my own musical culture in a different way, in a way that's a little bit more meaningful and, and, and a bit different, a bit more progressive, maybe.
0: So let me, let me ask, you're a professional musician, obviously, and you know what you're doing, jumping into the software. How do you think that this would work for a beginner, like somebody that's just like trying to get acquaintance with these new uh, tonalities and new um, rhythms? What would be the best method for them to use this software? I've spoken to a lot of
3: people who didn't know much about this subject and who were using these tools for the first time. And I think everybody found them intuitive enough to for them to to, to have their imagination stimulated. The beauty about both Lima and Apotome is that rather than having presets and defaults that are biased in any way, or let's just say non-neutral in, in some way, the default settings are the act of choosing. That's something that's really important because it gives users a a sense of agency. So what I would expect from a non-professional user is is for them to get excited about this and to just explore and discover by doing and then hopefully be stimulated enough to take that interest further. It's just about that spark. If you can catch that spark and if you can let it have space to, to grow brighter, then you know people will automatically find themselves taking their own path and discovering the the things that make them feel that magic
0: There's one thing I think the limitation is that this is free software and it is browser based and it's hard to, you know, beat out uh, software like Ableton Live or FL Studio or other places, uh, bits of music making software that you can use. And without marketing budgets with those softwares, are you ever concerned that maybe the word won't get out that things like this exist for people to use? And do you ever um, consider what the future looks like using this tool going forward with those factors in mind?
3: you're right to to say that commercial software run by global companies with a lot of money for marketing and development is is definitely not a, a beast that can be tackled with something like this that runs in a browser and and is for free, but this was a conscious decision. I don't think that those technologies are are bad and need to be replaced by something else. I just think that they're they're missing a really crucial element which is imperative for non-Anglo-European musical cultures. And without them, music is poorer as a result. Martina Roberts, a great American saxophonist, said during a panel discussion I participated in with her a while ago, she said that people of color need to, you know, have to work harder. That's just the nature of the, the way that systems have been constructed. And what I love about these tools is that they actually make our lives much, much easier, Makes it much easier to create and to develop ideas and to experiment and to explore than it was before. So they're great stimulants for the musical imagination. And I hope that that, that in itself can be something that will you know, lead to something else, whether that be more great music or more great tools, um, uh, only time will tell.
0: What are a few things that listeners can do to help continue your work?
3: Please just use, use the tools, tell your friends about them and, and explore these ideas. Uh, uh, ultimately, I'm a fan of music and, and a big part of making these tools is because I'm keen and, and uh, desperate actually to hear more music that has these kind of energies and these kinds of tonalities. So please just make music, tell your friends and uh, let me know so that I can hear it. <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm Malami is a musician, composer, and researcher, and creator of Apotomy and Lima. We included links to both in our show notes, so feel free to jump in there and play around and see what you could create. Next week on Solvable, we're talking about a different set of digital tools that are solving problems. Able Gamers is an organization that is making gaming devices available and accessible for everyone. I hope you'll join us for that conversation. Solvable senior producer is Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Jha. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Sasha Matthias, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Special thanks to Haya Malami and his musical collaborators for sharing audio from the Apotomy live performance from CTM 2021. There's a link to their full performance in our show notes. I highly recommend that you check that out. Solvable is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review. It helps us find our way to the ears of new listeners. You can find Pushkin Podcasts wherever you listen, including on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for
1: listening.
2: The tradition of breaking tradition continues
0: Your homes.com
2: and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.